Hey friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We are going to be keeping you up on the literature, and to do that, we spoon-feed it to you. Now, let's take a quick look ahead at everything we'll be covering. First off, swabs or a urine sample, which is better for STI testing. Next, there have been more and more mental health visits for kids. After that, if one child in a household is being abused, odds are the others are too. What screening should you do about that? And then, what are the odds a febrile infant with COVID has something else on top of it? Well, let me tell you. And then finally, how often do PCAR-negative children have intracranial hemorrhages? If you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, so you're not receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only getting a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, of course, all the articles are great, but if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And we don't ever want money to be a barrier to better patient care, so if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, just get in touch, we'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by Aaron Lacey, Mitchell Cross, Doug Wallace, Rebecca White, Jason Lesnick, Seth Walsh-Blackmore, and Clay Smith. All right, here's the first article. Titled Vaginal Swab versus Urine for Detection of Chlamydia trichomatis, Neisseria gonorrhea, and Trichomonas vaginalis, a meta-analysis out of the Annals of Family Medicine. Hundreds of millions of curable STIs are spread every year, disproportionately affecting women, which kind of makes sense, unfortunately. You just can imagine that the female anatomy is a much better place to grow things than the male one. Having the most accurate diagnostic tests as possible is important so we can treat these infections and hopefully minimize further spread. The CDC says that vaginal swabs for chlamydia, gonorrhea, and trichomonas, well, it's more sensitive to do swabs. But despite this, urine tests are much more commonly sent, presumably because they're less invasive. Now, these authors did a systematic review and meta-analysis to see which test is better, swabs or urine sample PCRs. They found 28 eligible studies from which they could pool test characteristics compared with a variety of different reference standards. The overall conclusions are really that vaginal swabs are more sensitive for all of these three infections. All significantly so as well, but not by enormous margins. We're talking 8% maximum. That's still, though, since so many of these tests are sent, that still makes a big difference. I'd even suspect that the differences might be larger for asymptomatic women with low pathogen loads. The authors estimated that if only urine samples were sent in the U.S. for an entire year, that would miss 400,000 STIs. So if vaginal swabs are a better test, then they should hopefully be the default. Of course, you'll have to discuss the options with your patients, since not everybody wants to do swabs and urine is pretty easy to get. Don't forget that self-collected swabs are actually better in many circumstances than MD-collected swabs, so it could save you the time and perhaps the patient the trouble. In a spoonful, when testing for gonorrhea, chlamydia, or trichomonas infections, vaginal swabs are more sensitive than urine tests, and this allows us to miss less infections. And then we skipped Article 4. The prevalence of urinary tract infection, bacteremia, and meningitis among febrile infants aged 8 to 60 days with SARS-CoV-2. Out of the JAMA network open. Hundreds of thousands of febrile infants less than 90 days old are evaluated for serious bacterial infections every year in the U.S. 7 to 10% of these children have a UTI, 2 to 3% have bacteremia, and less than 1% have meningitis. If there is a documented viral infection, then we know that this decreases the likelihood that that child has a serious bacterial infection. 
less likely that you're going to have two infections at the same time. And then we already have something to blame the fever on. So it's, I mean, it's not going to necessarily change how you test them, but it still makes it less likely that they have another infection. The data that supports this is mostly from pre-COVID studies. So is this all true of COVID as well? COVID is, of course, a virus, so maybe it's true of COVID. Presumably it would be, and so it doesn't hurt to check. This study was a multinational cross-sectional study, which included a retrospective surveillance sample of 14,000 febrile infants aged 8 to 60 days without bronchiolitis and with a temperature of at least 38 degrees Celsius. All of these patients had presented to a hospital in the U.S. or Canada from 2020 to 2022 who had COVID testing done. A little over half of the samples were from those 30 to 60 days old, and about a quarter of the patients tested positive for COVID. A quarter of the patients positive for COVID. That's huge. Only 1% of the COVID-positive infants had a UTI bacteremia or meningitis, compared to 9% of the infants who were COVID-negative. Of the 38 COVID-positive patients, 30 had UTIs, 7 had bacteremia, and 3 had meningitis. It was more common for the younger infants, less than 28 days old, to have a serious bacterial infection. If you take into account inflammatory markers, which are now routine in the workup of febrile infants, then less than 0.1% of children who were COVID-positive and had normal inflammatory markers had a serious bacterial infection. An abnormal inflammatory marker would have included an elevated ANC, a temperature over 38.5 degrees Celsius, a high CRP or procalcitonin, or a positive urine analysis. This is reassuring information. It's great to know. Will it change your workup or how you treat? Probably not, unless this gets incorporated in the guidelines. After all, if the child was COVID positive, then still around 1% of these kids were growing bugs somewhere they shouldn't. And a spoonful, infants who were COVID positive in this retrospective study were associated with much lower rates of serious bacterial infections. Still not nothing though. And that wraps us up. What did we learn today? From the first article, next time you're getting urine samples to test for an SDI, make sure you're not doing it just to save yourself the swabs. Urine tests are less sensitive, and so you'll miss more infections. From the fourth article, who would have thought that sometimes having COVID could be good news? If you're a febrile infant, it likely is because this study found that there was an association with being COVID positive and lower rates of serious bacterial infections in infants 8 to 60 days old. Now, links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. If you're feeling like you missed out a little bit, you'd like to hear more podcasts, you'd like to get access to the blog, please come and join us in the members feed. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.